Welcome everyone, I'm Sam Sebastian, and you're listening to How Are You Doing Really? Today I'm joined by my friend Ryan. Ryan and I met shortly after I moved to San Francisco, so a little over 13 years ago. Uh, He recently moved to Zurich, Switzerland, and I, I invited him on today just to see how he's been doing and and really hear about his perspective and um, his experience around COVID and being in a different country, thousands and thousands of miles away from his family, his friends, his loved ones, and and really sh- just share about what that's been like. Uh, we also talk a bit about what's happened recently in Minneapolis um, with the murder of George Floyd and, and racism and how um, how we have been affected by it, how we have been a part of it, and also um, yeah, what we hope to see um, be the change uh, so that this doesn't continue. Uh, I, I I feel like these conversations oftentimes can be uncomfortable, can be challenging, and I just want to encourage others who are listening to have these conversations with themselves, with their friends, with their family, and, and with anybody else who um, is open to having this conversation, because I think it's part of what we need to do to see the change in the world that we're wanting. Welcome everyone, I'm Sam Sebastian and I'm here today with my friend Ryan. He is a friend from San Francisco but currently lives in Zurich, Switzerland. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's right, yeah. (laughs) You've been out there since what, the fall of 2019? Yeah, Yeah, it's been seven months. Yeah, seven months now. Wow. Okay, so so more more like winter. Yeah. Yes, I arrived uh, right when all the leaves fell, <laughs> which I imagine was pretty beautiful. Coming from a town that never that doesn't really experience fall, yeah, it was it was, it was magical. It was definitely magical. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know much about Zurich, but I'm I'm curious. Uh, you're you're surrounded by some water, right? Where you're at? Yeah, yeah. Is it an ocean, a lake, canals? Yeah, uh, the city of Zurich is um, on Lake Zurich, and uh, there is a river that it, it's fed by the Alps, and it flows out of Lake Zurich on the the Lammet. If I'm saying that right, and eventually it show it makes its way to the Rhine and then out through it the Rhine exits through uh Rotterdam. So and then there's uh the River Zeal that's just like a block a couple of buildings away. It's coming straight in from the mountains. Um yeah there's a there's a lot of water. It's it's um it's very very idyllic. Uh but you can in the river you can see straight to the bottom. It's so clear. Wow. Yeah. And and do you do you go out on to the water do you get in go swimming go boating anything like that yeah i haven't i haven't gone boating there you can definitely boat on on the lake um but there's definitely uh lake culture is it's its own thing uh in the uh fall and winter the city actually has a sauna on the lake like dry heat saunas and um they're like built over the lake. And when you get out of the sauna, you just run into the lake. Um, and then there's like the, the whole lake is a swimming hole. Um, and my roommate and I just, my flatmate and I last week uh, went for our first dip of the season. And then um, a big thing is you'll catch the lamb at where it exits Lake Zurich. And you'll uh, get like an inner tube. Maybe you'll rope a couple of inner tubes together, get an ice chest and you'll float down the river um to uh to ddcon it's like it's like an hour 
then you just hop on the train and go right back into the center of town and do it all over again. Sounds rad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not Aww. bad. So, so a big part of why I'm having these conversations with people is really just to check in how they've been doing throughout the, um, yeah, the coronavirus pandemic and um, just sharing about their personal experience and uh, how it may have, how it's been either really challenging or how, however you've just been experiencing it and, and navigating it. And mm-hmm. um, I know moving is such a big uh, process to go through in and of itself and to kind of layer on top of moving out of like your home country to another country <laughs> where they speak, I'm sure English, but also um, other languages that you may or may not know much of. And, um, and then to be there during a time in which um, people have to start sheltering in place and people are potentially getting sick and, um, yeah, everything starts to change. I'm, I'm just curious how that experience has been for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a trip. <laughs> it's been a trip. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely being an expat in a different country is challenging. Um, in many respects, COVID has deferred my assimilation process from being under shelter in place. Um, yeah, but it's, it's been, you know, rough. It's, it's similar and also different from, I think, what, what's been happening in the States. Um, you know, like we, we went into lockdown maybe like a week before San Francisco did. Um, and it was very uh, Switzerland is kind of built around stability. Like it's, it's a very, uh, an aspirational goal of creating stability and, and it's a very stable society. So, um, when things, when the boat gets rocked, people are rightly so afraid. Um, and it, you know, it, everyone was watching it from afar in China. And then all of a sudden it basically showed up at the front doorstep with it being in Northern Italy. So close to Milan, which is only like a five hour train ride from Zurich. Um, probably maybe except for maybe Munich, probably the closest city to, to Zurich. And it's so easy to get in and out of. Um, so if people were very thrown off by it. Um, I didn't, I mean, from being in this, already in this headspace of nothing is normal mm-hmm. to me because I'm an expat. Um, for me, it was very much, well, this is just, this is just what's happening. <laughs> and uh, I had noticed from moving here that judgment it was not working for me if i judge things um as good or bad that that just was not a helpful coping mechanism um and i I noticed that it it would just hold me back from quickly identifying what do i need what do i want how can i solve this problem um and so uh, i I think i could just kind of carry that into the whole um covid lockdown situation um and i think uh, definitely you know reaching out to people proactively um all of a sudden those little morning check-in text messages became very important um good night text messages and i was never one to really do that back home in san francisco but here it's been like okay i need to just remind people that i'm i'm thinking of them and vice versa. And, and all of a sudden those tiny little micro communications became very, very invaluable. Um, one thing that became very loud and clear to me in the beginning was the need for routine. Uh, like I, I graduated college right when the great uh, recession was going on. And uh, one of my big takeaways from that was the need to have routine and structure in my day. Um, there was a moment that I was laid off and I had an unemployment check. But that much freedom (laughs) 
was not good for a 23-year-old um, at that time. And, and so for me, it was very much like, okay, I can't just roll out of bed and go to the dining room table and start working. I, I need to create some sort of normalcy for myself. Yeah, some st- structure. Yeah, yeah, uh, some, some structure. And um, yeah, it, it's so sad, but it was just like, okay, got to got to brush those teeth. Got to shower before I fire up the laptop. I should probably exercise beforehand too. Um, and uh, that seemed really, really helped kind of pace myself. Where am I at in the day? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Did any of that, did, was, did any of that, yeah, what was it like for you, Sam, on your side? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I could... I could imagine um, just before I go on to to my experience, um, just you kind of realizing this is like the circumstances, and I I want to make sure that I stay in a right state of mind or a healthy state of mind, and um, just kind of knowing yourself, knowing the way in which um, certain things help to keep things balanced for you, you, you started to implement those into your everyday practice, um, which I think is very skillful. I, I, Thank you. <laughs> I, on the other hand, had a little more of a, a challenging experience. Um, you know, I had been at Esalen and kind of in a bubble for two months prior to oh, everything yeah. The, the shelter in place happening and Finn had my partner had been calling and we'd talk and he was sharing like, Hey, this is really scary. Um, it seems like a pretty serious thing that's happening. And I kind of thought of it as like, Oh, it's, it's just another version of the, the bird flu. Like don't, don't fret, you know, it's, it's gonna run yeah. its course. We'll okay. be fine. And and it wasn't until I had gotten back to San Francisco very shortly before that we, we started reading the news a little more while I was at Esalen and I realized, wow, this is impacting a lot of people and it's quite serious. So when I got back and uh, it was like the second week of March, um, I started working and hadn't worked the whole time that I was at a Esalen assisting. Um, so after what, less than a week, I, I had to shut my doors of my business. And, and that was just scary because I, I hadn't been working two months prior and I had anticipated on coming back and being able to work. You know, I had enough to get me by for a little bit, but I definitely uh, was, was struggling. And I, so, so after losing that and having to, um, try and figure out, well, what am I going to do in the meantime? How am I going to survive? Yeah. I, I really went into survival mode and it was hard to think really clearly. Uh, it took me about a week or two to kind of adjust to the new normal and, of get things in line i I did reach out for support and fortunately got a lot of support from family and friends and um that helped you know i i I slowly found myself finding um, a routine that really worked well for me whether it was waking up and reading before looking at my phone or looking at the news um yeah, just taking a little more time for myself before I, I kind of dove into the day. And and then I I had to kind of um, figure out, well, how how can I work or do I work in this moment? You know, it, it so much of my work has been working with people in person, doing body work. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it kind of put me in this space of, well, I, I kind of feel like things are just calling for me to just slow down. 
And so, so I, I took that and I really allowed myself to slow down and just be with all of the feelings. And in addition to that happening, um, at the beginning of January, my, my brother had passed away. And so I, I felt like I was grieving not only the loss of my brother, but the loss of my job at the same time. And there were days that were extremely uh, emotionally taxing and, and challenging. So having a support network, whether it was friends, my therapist, um, Finn, uh, family to talk to about these things. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been a, an interesting process and yeah, I really appreciate you asking. Um, and, and I'm, I'm curious, how has it been for you being away from your family, you know, living, uh, across the world and not being, uh, in a distance in which you could just come and be with them at any point if you needed to be, how is that for you? Yeah. Oh man. Just you sharing that just brought like so much back to like what, what we've been going through. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, um, ah, gosh, probably just hard experiencing COVID in, in Europe has been primarily a humanitarian crisis. It's an economic crisis, but it's primarily humanitarian crisis. But to, to COVID started for me really not as a humanitarian crisis, but as an economic crisis um, in that um, my surrogate gay dad was here visiting me um, right when the lockdown started. And he, he left like, just a handful of days before, before the, 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 the travel ban went into effect. And um, when he was here, as he's watching the headlines, he, I mean, he's on vacation. He's just like, I'm totally going to lose my job. And he flew out on Friday and on Monday he lost his job. And, um, a couple, like a week later, my sister lost her job. And, um, like another week later and another sibling lost their job. And, um, even though I'm not like my siblings are predominantly in California, West coast. And I have one in New York, um, New York city. Um, like they're, they're not in a, in a position to get exposed to the virus, but immediately like losing their jobs, like the, the, the huge degree of uncertainty that that brings, especially being in coming from a country that, has a social social safety net air quotes is really terrifying um, and especially having gone through the great financial crisis here here again we're at this other black swan moment where no one could have seen it happening and, and that strikes and the degree of sadness and of concern um is just like has been overwhelming at times um there's been moments where um, I felt like tremendous guilt for being here because my world, except for like staying in my apartment for about six weeks, seven weeks, um, didn't really change. Um, and there were moments where like I was being asked, do you want to come home? And I actually thought to myself, in terms of self-care, this actually might be the best for me thing to just stay put. Yeah. And the thought actually went through my head of if this many people are losing their jobs and this many people are going to lose their jobs, I won't have, like, if I wanted to give them anything, I might not have much to give them. But if I stay in this job, I could actually send money home, which mm -hmm. is just alarming to think about. Um, that, And then it turned into like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just staying put. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been a lot of, um, a lot of grieving, a lot of grieving, mm -hmm. grieving about, um, not being there, not experiencing it with other people. Um, feeling like I should be there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like 
the scale and complexity and diversity of emotions has been tremendous. Um, and as much as I like touted that, that uh, routine in the beginning, man, oh, was it bumpy getting it going, having it fall apart on me and being like, okay, nope, we need to get back in our sandbox. So we're going to get ourselves organized, um, having to get back on the horse. Um, and even though like I would try to, you know, reach out to people and be like, okay, like I'm in, I'm in this place of um, I'm feeling the privilege of stability to hold space for people and hear how they're doing. Um, there were just as much as I could observe and, and be present for somebody witnessing what they were going through. Um, there'd be moments where I'd be like, I, I may be 6,000 miles away, but I can see your face and I can hear your voice. And I can just feel the emotional garbage that you're going through. And it just, it's just so much. I, I, that there aren't words for, for what's been going on. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's just, it just goes to show that, that so many people are experiencing just varying degrees of grief and sadness and pain and suffering and, um, what's unique about this experience is that it's, it's kind of like a collective, um, trauma as it's been put by some of my teachers. And, uh, I think how we are able to respond, uh, to this collective trauma, whether it's being, uh, just in conversations with friends or family when they're needing it, when they're needing the support or if if we have resources that we can offer out to those in need or our our services to those in need as well um and and I know the other thing that you do is is you sit in circles whether it's uh men's groups um if you don't mind me sharing the no, <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Mankind Project is has been a pretty big staple in your your life the past what three plus years or some somewhere around that or maybe less. Oh my gosh, COVID time is totally messing. With me. no, no worries. Two years, three years. Yeah, yeah. Just it's just <laughs> a number, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I'm curious how how that has has that continued through the past. Uh, uh, five, six months. Yeah. Um, well, so when I got here, I sought out MKP Switzerland um, and I found that community. Um, I had a bit of a moment where um, I think I experienced some, um, I think the right word is xenophobia. What is it? Xenophobia? xenophobia yeah like fear of other cultures okay um which is like this fancy word that you hear politicians use but and and as a white boy from california i haven't really experienced um but uh yeah you can you can be in switzerland and you know i, I don't speak german i don't speak swiss german so i'm automatically a second class citizen which is a very new experience for me um, and, uh, unfortunately I, I, yeah, I attended a meeting and, um, there was this very brief discussion about language and all of a sudden it switched to German and it didn't really come back. And, um, yeah, I just, yeah. Kind of felt like you were on the outside. I felt very excluded. Yeah. Um, and, um, very, very excluded. And, uh, and there were Im invitations in that circle to re-engage and um the discussion was so fragmented and happened so quickly and the switch to german there wasn't like a group consensus it was kind of consensus through silence that um yeah i kind of i kind of walked away from it locally but um it's still definitely happening uh i have attended uh, some calls to the west coast i mean it was really beautiful as the lockdown happened to watch, um, I'm also a 12-stepper, um, watch the 12-step community and the MK, MKP community 
get like right into gear immediately and see the emails flying out about meetings and people getting organized and community assembling and leveraging like the social media tools that we build so quickly. Um, and I have attended a couple of circles um, through MKP that are hosted through the West Coast. Um, it's a little different with the time change or a little challenging with the time change. But um, yeah, it's amazing what you can still do with just Zoom and uh, the connection you can feel to other people by just talking about your feelings and what's going on for you. Like even, even, not being, even though you're not present, um, it's still totally possible. And um, I've had some really great insight from those experiences. Um, I remember the first 12 step meeting, um, it was what was a home meeting for me at one point. I, um, <laughs> uh, the call was so packed, I couldn't talk and, um, it was fine because I was just smiling and I cried the whole meeting. I cried the whole meeting because I was so filled with joy to see people that I've seen for years that I've known for years, just sitting there, just working through their stuff and, um, seeing the continuation of their lives. Um, and, uh, and how, how so committed to self-care that they are and committed to taking care of themselves and recognizing that they've got to take care of themselves in order to take care of other people. Um, and uh, yeah, just like, there's been some beautiful moments of humanity in this, I got to say. Yeah, I, I think it's, there is a lot of beauty that's, that's come from this whole experience. Um, and and it's so important for our mental health to to stay connected to our communities and uh, to friends that we can really trust and open up to. I mean, even just what you were explaining uh, about your experience of not actually getting to share, but just witness and and there's there's something that happens in that. Um, at least for me, I know that I've been in circles in that way and somebody's just talking about their process and people are able to give feedback. And um, it's almost like not only are they doing work for themselves, they're doing work for like the group because I feel like almost everyone can relate in some way or another. And it, it helps to just kind of get in touch with more of what we're feeling. And as I said earlier, I, I really have had the time to slow down and, feel the emotions that I've been experiencing. And it's just some days as I kind of take a deep breath, you know, it's a <laughs> lot. <laughs> and other days, you know, I'm feeling great. Um and it it's things are things are shifting right now. I I I see places opening up that we're in a, a phase now where more and more businesses are able to be in operation. Of course, there's lots of um, rules and regulations on how uh, businesses are operating. Um, and I'm curious, how has it been for you in, in the process of things opening up and being able to go outside and go into the lake and um, kind of have some sort of sense of normalcy come back into the picture? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we had a people follow. I'll just say people follow the rules here. <laughs> people follow the rules. <laughs> um, I like, if anything, I, I've been really feeling cultural texture in terms of people being like, there's like shaming of like, you're getting too close. <laughs> Should you really be doing that? Should you really be like going out? Um, and, uh, gal in hr like she, she was just like oh how was your weekend did you go hiking i was like oh yeah i went hiking this is where i went and she, you know you really should have been at home <laughs> <laughs> uh and i'm like wait, wait you, okay thanks mom um but uh yeah there, there's been like in some air aspects it's been like a strict quarantine in other ways it hasn't like you've been like i the whole time i was able to go out go out into nature um, they were just very strict about like people congregating in groups and all the parks were closed and um, I could go to the grocery store and no sweat. Um, but 
yeah, at this stage, pretty much everything is open and they're, they're going to switch to, I think like next week, 30 people can gather at a time. Um, so it's definitely feels like it's on the mend and things are getting back to normal. Um, but I think one thing that was really critical to me at a certain point was recognizing, like I knew nature was very important to me and that I didn't know how it does it, but just getting out into nature and getting into the wild somehow when I returned to my normal life, something's changed. And um, uh, coming here, one of the reasons why I picked this place over, to, over other places was um, my ability to somewhat replicate a California lifestyle and getting out into nature. Um, and so I've been doing hiking, long, long hikes every Sunday um, or Saturday for the last month and a half. Um, which like you can go by train like 45 minutes and you're in this looks like, like something out of BBC earth. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but, uh, that, that has been really, um, super helpful. Um, the quarantine thing though, like yeah, the, the, the fear aspect, though, like almost like excessive amounts of fear at times of like, um, like I, I was, I got back to the office and like they said, Oh yeah, you can come back to the office. Everything's great. And I had people be like, can I just call you so I don't have to come to your desk so we don't have to actually meet? And I'm like, mm. you're in the office. You, you took the tram here. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I get it. it. You know, if people are exposed or very close to, to the healthcare system or to death, like they're, they're very cautious. There's, there's actually like a, a senior citizen home, like a block from my house. Mm -hmm. And, um, you can't even like walk 20 feet close to the building. And I've never seen anyone outside of it. The whole thing is barricaded. Yeah. Really, really isolated there. Extremely isolated. And with, um, with, with people that have actually had loved ones or, or close friends that have, um, been affected by covid and have gotten it uh yeah I, I know myself like it it makes me feel way more cautious and less a little more apprehensive about just going back and doing things as usual um and just knowing friends who got sick over a month ago that are still kind of dealing with symptoms or yeah, after effects of covid and how I, I realize like we need to continue living our lives and, and not just like stay in our houses for the rest of the year, if not longer. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I think it, 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 it really just depends on what, what feels safe and what feels comfortable and um, just, making sure that we're mindful of the situations that we're putting ourselves into the environments that we're going into the best as possible. Um, yeah. And, and one other thing that I wanted to kind of bring up is as things open up, it, it seems like there's been other things happening um, of course all along, but haven't necessarily gotten uh into the news or have ever really received much attention just because I feel like COVID has just been the thing that so many of us have just been focusing on. Um, and, and one of the more recent events um, that happened in Minneapolis with uh, George Floyd, the um, African-American man who was killed by murdered by the police officer um, and and how m much like outrage and um, just demand for for justice to to be happening um, during this time it, it, it and seeing people congregate into large groups and protest and that turning into 
uh, riots. Um, I'm curious how, uh, how that's kind of landed with you as you've heard about it. Yeah. Um, I, I will totally respond to that, Sam, but I, there's something here that I wanted to share, like from talking about observing other people's fear, mm-hmm. even, even though, like I, I mentioned, like there's, there's this sense of stability that, that I have from being here and, and being in a place that things kind of, I'll give it to them. It works like the Swiss watch. Um, when the whole thing was settling in, like getting on, on the phone with my mom and being like, so you're packing up the car and you and your husband are going like to your cabin, right? And she's like, oh no, honey, we're great. <laughs> I'm like, no, like, I'm serious. Please go do that. She's like, no, everything's normal here. <laughs> like, no, like you're in your 60s, mom. I'm not ready to lose you. You need to go. <laughs> <laughs> and and even like uh like my surrogate gay dad that i was mentioning earlier um my um i have some friends who got covid and um and they got over it and they were fine and um but there there was a stage where i was hearing about the friends who were dying um who were at a party like two weeks ago and now they're gone and that and the processing of that that degree of you know like I practice Buddhism and I believe that I believe in impermanence and I recognize that's a thing, but death is permanent. It's like the, one of those things that actually is permanent. You're, you're, they're gone. Um, and just the tremendous amount of like potential loss and loss that happened um, in, in terms of the energy and spirit of people that aren't in some people's lives anymore. Um, and all at once, it's just a lot to swallow. Um, you wanted to comment, uh, you were curious about the, uh, the Minneapolis situation. I am, and, and I, I do really appreciate you just sharing what you, you shared. Um, we never fully know like what other people are going through and until we have conversations like these, where people are able to just share openly um, about what their experiences um, where we're, we're not able to fully see what what's happening in, in their world. So I just I appreciate you you sharing that and I um, I haven't lost anybody from COVID in, in my life. Um, and yeah, I just, my heart goes out to, um, the people that have and, and, um, the friends that you've, you've lost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's so weird, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, um, the Minneapolis situation is very interesting. It, it's like a crime of passion. Or like to somebody to like just maliciously do what what happened is again like a whole other thing where it's like ah uh, that was that was it like when the whole COVID situation started I found myself thinking like gosh I really like to go to the movies I'm not interested in living in the movies that degree of intensity is too much and too um go from from covid to stock market free fall to people losing jobs to um this situation in minneapolis to um the president of my country saying when when the looting starts start whatever his thing on twitter was about when the looting starts the shooting starts like this is unacceptable like we are so much better than this so much better than this and we have so much more potential but there's something inherently wrong in our society right now that a police officer would do that where are the morals where are the ethics where's the mental health i mean 
Where's the humanity? Yeah, where's the humanity? It's like uh, something that was very strange for me moving here, Sam, was, um, you know, Brene Brown, not saying drop, but <laughs> no, good old, good old Brene, her, um, you know, like I've had these moments where like she pops up on my shoulder and she's like, well, of course we have these problems. We were living in the most indebted society, the most drug society, the most stressed society, like all her, her extremes. And it like stepping outside of the bubble and looking at the bubble and what's happening inside of the bubble from the vantage point of living in a different country. It's like, like, holy smokes. Yeah. And we're doing it to ourselves. We're doing it to ourselves. So it doesn't have to be this way. Um, like I, I think like I, I am a Democrat, <laughs> but with that said, um, I still believe in moderation. Um, I still believe in like the core values that I think Republicans would agree to as well of, of freedom and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, I firmly believe that there are so many forces in our country that are actively working to divide us because they know if we are divided, that we're not, this is what's going to happen. This is exactly what's going to happen. What I think about like prisons and and jails, and I think they set them up in a way where, where people are divided in them, whether it's their race or, uh, what, uh, part of the land that they're from, whether it's the South or the North, you know, they, they kind of strategically set people in these places to set them up against each other because they know that if, if they were all together and were to rise up against them, that they would be overpowered. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I kind of, I, I see that in, in our, yeah government and political system and it's it's really um hard to kind of swallow i i think about the just the vocabulary um in in the american uh language of people just using these terms like i'm gonna kill it um or uh I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, on other terms right now, but it just so much of what is kind of uh, deemed as like the way of doing a really good job or, or, or kind of pumping yourself up is, is using these words that are, are actually uh, just negative and, and, and impacting people in a really harsh yeah. way. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to kill it. Um, I like it, it, they're, they're words of dominance, they're words of division, Mm -hmm. they're words of, um, black and white. Mm -hmm. This is the language of, of an exclusive, divisive, undemocratic society. Like these are the words coming out of our mouths. So what's happening in our heads and in our hearts, like but it doesn't have to be this way. Like mm-hmm. we can, we can look in a different direction. We can look at it as, as an opportunity. Um, I, as much suffering as there's happening right now, I, I am hopeful that, that people will come together over this. Um, there, there is time to, to have a, a national conversation about these problems now. Um, and how, we're finding ourselves in this position it's we can do something if we choose to yeah i hope we do i hope so too you know i i want to continue having these conversations with with friends and with family and with people who are willing to to have more of an open conversation around racism and how it's still very much uh part of being human and I'm, yeah, I'm curious yeah. um, about something just being you being a, a white man um, and just 
being privileged just because of who you are, because of being born into this world, having the parents that you have. And um, there's a, a question that I wanted to ask, and it's how do you organize um, yourself as a white person uh, to take effective action to support anti-racism efforts? Ooh. No, I didn't prepare you to answer that. Oh, so if you that's a big one. Yeah, no, just yeah, take your time, feel into it. Well, I'm going to answer the question in two parts. I think the first part is um, in our system, in our current system, there's, I, I, I judge there's a lot of inaction and there's a lot of political inaction because of our economic structure. There was, I remember vividly one night, like speaking to a coworker, I, I work in financial services, so I inherently work long hours. And there was a moment where a colleague and I were talking about how different would our society be if there really was an eight hour workday and there was the freedom to go be politically active, to go volunteer. Um, there is a whole swath of Americans. Uh, no, I can say this with confidence because I work with them that don't believe that this is that what is happening is right. But they're also operating out of their own fear that there, there's no time to do something about this. Like they're basically, they may have look like they're middle class or whatnot, but they're, actually time slaves like they give so much time to work that they don't do much and i i i speak to this because i'm, I'm guilty of it i'm a part of this group um and there's and i and i know that i'm, I'm coming from this place of of deprivation i'm constantly viewing things through a set of glasses that see things that there's there's deprivation um and it's not like the feelings I don't think are inappropriate. Like you and I are at the same age approximately. Like I have student debt. I don't own a house. I have my old father's Jeep. Um, my dad's old, old Jeep. Um, like comp compared to our parents' generation, without notwithstanding my education, my parents were probably way better off at my current age than, than I am. And then you factor in the student debt and you factor in the education and on paper, it would look like I should have so much more happening, but I don't. And um, I feel like this inequality throughout society, like not looking at along race division, but looking at about income. And if you take out the 1% and you look at the 99 it doesn't matter about what color you have, like your skin is, you're, you're not really politically active because you're working so much to try to get by and try to, to get quote unquote ahead. But it's really because some people have so much more power and money than everyone else in terms of um, directly responding to the race element. Um, this is something that I'm still swallowing. And only in the last couple of years have I developed, um, I don't want to say appetite, the, the, the capacity to start wading in on this issue. Um, MKP has definitely been um, a gateway into this area for me. Um, I, I, I couldn't phrase the slogan well, but like people talk about when you show up on a weekend, um, you bring whatever's happening in the world with you. You bring all of society's problem, problems in a, in a short three or four day span are going to show up in the weekend. Um, and how you're showing up in the world shows up on the weekend. And um, depending on the nature of the weekend, certain, certain issues will come up. Either, either it may be around um, homosexuality or it could be about race. Um, I've, 
come to find that while my skin may be white, um, another privilege that I have is from being a gay man. I know what it's like from day one to feel like an outsider, to not be a part of the majority. And while I may be white, and that still is a privilege, I actually have more in common with the man of color than I do with a white straight man. Because my experience mirrors that of the man of color. He, he's coming from a place of, of, of disadvantage. I was coming from a place of disadvantage and exclusion. Um, it, it's not directly comparable. I'm not trying to minimize their experience, but there is a lot in common there. Um, and I think to really go to the heart of the issue, a part of my own inaction has been my own shame of my privilege. For us to talk about privilege and inequality means that the person in the position of power or the person who's better off has to acknowledge that they didn't actually get to where they got to with their own two hands. They had a leg up and inherently it just feels awful to feel that way. I, I, I feel ashamed of functioning the system and, and somewhat supporting it because it put me at a better advantage than somebody else who maybe deserved something that I got. Um, is that, I feel like I'm doing a little verbal diarrhea just because the degree of emotions around this issue. I, I really just appreciate your vulnerability and in, in sharing um, just the whole spectrum from, from you, you, you talking about um, work and, and, and working directly with, with people who are kind of enslaved to their work and in a way kind of um, experiencing a, a form of um, how do do I put this? Um, I I think you, you, you have a choice and and we choose these things because it's, I mean, we either go to school and and know that, okay, this job is potentially going to get me X, Y, and Z. And, and to, to have that idea and, and then, find yourself in that situation. I have a client who just mentioned to me maybe last year, he was just like, I work 80 hour work weeks sometimes. And had I known this before, I wouldn't have gone to school for this. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, why do you keep doing it? You know, like, why, why would you do that to yourself? You know that you're not sleeping. You know that it throws everything out of balance. Like he's like, it's just, like I've already invested so much in this, like I'm not, I'm not going to stop. And so, so speaking to that, like I, I, I just think unless people really know what it's like to be in, in your shoes or other shoes that are in similar positions. Yeah. I think part of the whole process of, um, addressing what's happening in this world is helping people see what it's like to be in our shoes and step into their shoes. And I, I realized that just because of who you are, there's a privilege and you do have a one up on others. And, and I'm sure that's a tough pill to swallow at times. And, and it's not, necessarily what you would want in a perfect world for yourself and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and I, I think about just how I was raised and my father, he's from Venezuela and grew up in a very different culture and had his own version of, uh, racism kind of instilled in him. I, I think he 
like we reenact somewhat of what's been done to us on others. And even if we're in marginalized groups, it, it happens within those groups and it's just like a product of society. And it's, I think it's really um, just sad and unfortunate that that's how things have panned out. And, and I think we've come so far, I I think to, to be able to be in a, a place in time where we had an African-American president like who would right. have ever have thought that that would have happened, you know? And, and it was amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I think like it just, it gave so much hope for, um, for, for African-Americans and there's still this underlying issue of racism that continues to happen and even if we see like huge leaps and and moving in a different direction, there's still this like opposing force that's that's there. And yeah. and I'm not I'm not quite sure how how to to fully fix it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's two things to me. It, to, to summarize it as much as possible, it's um, it's the emotional exchange. But there needs to be like an emotional exchange of honoring those who are treat, treated disrespectfully. I, I, I am like adamant that to the next person, I am no no more or less it's significant than them. We all have the same inherent worth, regardless of our language or our background or our income, et cetera. And that everyone should be treated respectfully. Um, only my higher power is above me and, and us in turn. And, um, and I think that there needs to be that emotional like acknowledgement of just like, yeah, this, this happened. Um, and even though there's quote unquote, like it, it's not what the world that it was before, um, there's still racism happening in our society. And um, it, it goes to, to, in two different ways. It's, it's one, white people acknowledging, people of privilege acknowledging their privilege and taking action, corrective action. And it's also, um, if I may be so bold to say, people of color stepping into their power and assertively saying, I'm not going to tolerate anything other than respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not a victim. I'm not going to be a victim. You're going to respect me, just full stop. I think the other thing, though, is looking at why, why is this racism happening? Why is it that um, there's like all of a sudden our society is once again filled with um, racism and xenophobia and there's anti-Semitism happening uh, and the minorities are just being attacked. To me, it's, it's, it's just an scapegoat. It's an scapegoat of those who are in power trying to avoid us recognizing that they are the reason for the, these problems like in, back in the day like if you didn't like the power if you didn't like how the government was working you just vote them out and now we're in this state where we're doing identity politics and it's how do, how do i feel about this guy do i feel like i can have a beer with him like that's horseshit man like come on it's about the policies. If you don't like the policies, vote them out of office. It's really simple. Vote them out of office. And, and this whole idea of um, uh, like this winner take all or um, uh, like I can't let the, like my, the other party win anything. Like that is so like a non-starter, non-negotiable like argument of like, 
um, like we're all Americans. Like when people are suffering in different part of the country, I need to help them out because when I'm going to be suffering and there's going to be an earthquake in my state, I'm going to want them to help me out. Like we're all better together. And to me, from where I'm sitting and what I'm seeing, this racism that's happening is intolerable and it has to be stopped. But a part of stopping it is looking at those who are enabling it and looking at the core problems here. And um, our politicians are not serving the American people. I don't know who they're serving, but they're not serving the American people. Hmm. Um, I, I don't see some, some God-like leader coming out of the heavens. And even if there was one, I would call, call it bullshit. Hmm. But it, we need to make sure that our government reflects us and our values and this government does not yeah, it's like how do you get one person to represent a extremely diverse group of people yeah right <laughs> right yeah i mean i think it i think it begins with like a discussion though like i mean this this democracy happens when like there's group consensus. Like one beautiful thing that like I've experienced both through MKP and 12 step is, is watching the group come together. And um, like, like in 12 step, it's very much like you get into it, what you get out of it. And if you don't attend the business meeting, you don't attend the business meeting. And it's just like a rolling dialogue about group dynamics and um, things happen. Things don't happen. Um, but there, there's like a, if there's an ongoing discussion of like you and I, Sam, like Sam, you and I, we have our friendship. And then if we stepped to the side and we said, okay, for a minute, let's not be in our friendship, but let's talk about how our friendship works and what do we like and what do we not like. And stepping into like an observer's view of mm-hmm. how do we feel about our society? Like that. That needs to happen, but there needs to be time for that to happen. And I think we just are working way too much. Like hmm. being being in a society where that like leisure is so leisure happens in Europe, mm-hmm. like on a scale. Like I, it, like I'm have I'll have moments from like when do these people work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if we want our society back, we need to demand our time back and we need to actively say, no, this is not, this is, this working arrangement is, is not an arrangement. It's just not working. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's one of the main reasons why we chose to move to Nevada city was because we wanted a different pace of life. We wanted a quality to it that really resonated with both of us and, and being in nature, slowing down, like it, it's just changed things tremendously. Um, and I, I know that I, I wanted to be in uh, a big city from a very young age because I wanted that experience of, of that energy and, yeah, not knowing what it all entailed and some things I loved and some things I could have gone without. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But I, I did, I did feel like I, I went through the past couple of years just kind of in this hamster wheel of just like doing and going and, and just, it, it didn't, yeah, there was a huge part of me that was just like, hey, this is not in balance. This is not what I'm needing right now. And and I'm yeah. so grateful that I was able to take that leap to kind of step out of that and, and find myself where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you so much uh, for just sharing your perspectives, your about your experiences and um answering questions that you weren't necessarily (laughs) prepared to answer but i um i'm really glad we were able to talk about uh just that wide spectrum of events that has just been happening especially the more recent ones they've just been on my heart and 
as I led a workshop yesterday, I, I found myself in my body kind of shaking with so much um, energy around what had happened. So I think it's really important right now for people that have practices where they're able to ground and going out into nature is a huge way that I find that for myself and also other embodiment practices, whether it's dancing, yoga, um, just breathing, laying on the ground, stretching. Uh, so passing that on to whoever uh, could use uh, something to try on. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for having me, having me on uh, and asking the hard questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. asking asking the hard question asking the right questions so critical and asking at the right time um yeah i mean these are these are these are the things that really matter so mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. thank you sam yeah thank you thank you all so much for listening today if any of you'd like to find out more about the work that I do, you can go to samsebastian.com. That's S-A-M-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N.com. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to me via email. That's sam at samsebastian.com. Much love. <laughs>